0: I've won championships, I've won titles without SNC. Why do I need to do that? We want you guys to play. We know it's your sport and your passion. We want you to play as much as possible and train as much as possible. It's exposure to different environments. Badminton, volleyball, gymnastics, parkour and bit set up. And this is the whole way through the academy. He was really comfortable being in body contact. And that just adds to your repertoire of techniques, skills that you can use, tactics that you use in your game to make you the style of player that you are. Rest, recovery, sleep, high quality nutrition, hydration, communicating with your coach. All fantastic things that you need to do and need to be consistent. Again, that's a joint-up approach.
1: Hello and welcome to Project Footballer episode 23. Today we are covering strength and conditioning in football. And we have an expert in this subject, Harry Nock. Harry is one of the Chelsea strength and conditioning coaches. He also has his own company um, called Advanced Performance, which is a specialised strength and conditioning gym based in Guildford. And after speaking to him and spending a lot of time with him, I know that he's got so much to teach on this important subject. Um, Harry, welcome. Thanks very much. Cheers for having me. Welcome. Also, with us today, we have Marcelo, a coach at Chelsea, and we also have Yuri, who is a scout at Fulham. And the guys also happen to go to university together.
2: Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, um, myself and uh, Harry and Yuri, we went to the same university. Uh, I think it was in my second year you came in. Yeah. We played in the same we did, football team. <laughs> Uh, And yeah, and then it's like, after all these years, we've obviously been coming into Chelsea now, it's like we've come full circle and now we've, yeah, we've come across each other again. Yeah, so it's nice to have you on the podcast to to share your knowledge.
1: Yeah, no, thanks for joining us. Um, So, yeah, I mean, just to start with, I mean, I think like it'll be good to know how you got into strength and conditioning. But before we do that, can you just define what strength and conditioning is?
0: yeah definitely i think
1: it's that would be a really good place to
0: start because i think if you ask different people they might have a different um definition of it or their idea of it may be different um for me it's more of a journey so strength and conditioning is a journey of an athlete from a young age right and up until they go into their professional pathways um and different sections of that journey are going to look different so you know in that developmental stage and the f- uh, f- learning the fundamentals, it's going to look completely different to the when they're going through maturation and then post-maturation is going to look quite different as well. So yeah, it has different elements in it and it's again, multifactorial and, it, and there's lots of different parts to it. Um, but again, depending on where where you are, what age you are and what part of your development you are, it's going to look, look slightly different. Um, but what, is it like weightlifting? That's definitely a part of it. Right. So uh, resistance training is definitely a big part of it um, and it's how we segue into that from a youngster, um, how we uh, maintain the quality and consistency of that uh, resistance training and then allowing them to you know prolong their career essentially. okay
1: uh, and and yeah, how did you get into this field? Um, a lover of sport from a, a young age
0: uh, played lots of different sports um which we advise our young athletes to do uh currently um football was the my, my main passion um played football all my life um was lucky enough to be at AFC Wimbledon yeah um, from probably 11 or 12 all the way up to 17 18 um actually played with Ethan Pinnock oh, yeah, um, yeah, who yeah. you had on the podcast yeah. uh, in the same youth team um and then, uh, yeah, didn't play professionally, but then c- continued to play. And that, I think, started the passion for, you know, physical exercises, making sure, what can I do to make sure that physically I can compete against, you know, when you're playing in a, in a first team against grown men, what do I have to do to compete um, physically? And that kind of sparked something in me, um, then led me to go to university and find out, you know, what is, what is behind this um, and what can I implement um and that just that started off a a love of physical development uh, learning how to develop myself um foremost and then it kind of blossomed into how can i share this now how can i how can i get more of this how can i help more people yeah um coming out of university um started working uh, with advance um and at the time we were quite we're in our infancy so we had um a few athletes with us. We would go into to schools and work with gifted and talented groups. Um, and then it's kind of just snowballed from there. But um, the underlying theme being, you know, how well I can then uh, gain knowledge and then give that back to these young athletes to, mm. to help to help their journey.
1: And how long have you been at Chelsea for?
0: Uh, I think this is my fifth season. Oh, is it? Um, so, yeah, it's gone quite quickly. So, which is which is great, and uh, yeah, absolutely love it there. Great environment, um, everyone pushing the same direction. Um, a really joint up approach to to developing the person um, as well as the footballer.
1: Okay, and at the moment you're with the Chelsea under 13s predominantly.
0: Yeah, lead lead S&C coach of the 13s. Okay,
1: the so maybe, um, and we don't have to like stick specifically on Chelsea, but with like academies what is typical for like how many snc coaches they'll have like well is that common that there'll be a snc coach for each academy team um what's what's common yeah at at chelsea we we try
0: and have um a coach per team um obviously in different academies and different levels of football that might not be the case so you might have an snc coach that's doing athletic development with the youngsters who might then also cross over with um, up the age groups and into the youth team. Um, but as much as we can, yeah, we try and like to have that uh, one SNC coach uh, to improve the athletic development of, of one team. Um, just so you can keep the highest levels of detail, um, of feedback, um, communication with the coaches, monitoring um, the players throughout the season, um, and then passing that information on to uh, up and down the chain as they
2: progress through the age groups.
1: But so it's not necessarily like normal to have that. Well, Arsenal, well, Man City, will. Yeah, I yes, they I'll have w-
2: to. They have to have an S coach to maintain the category status, uh, category one or two. Oh, is it? So yeah, it's now a prerequisite. It's, yeah. it's a requirement. Yeah, yeah, wow. it's
0: definitely it. De- it definitely helps. But I also, um, in my younger years, having involvement with other clubs, know that that sometimes isn't the case with you know, budget and things like that. It's really tough to maintain the amount of staff um, to keep it, like you said, to get that status. So, but, um, but yeah, very much appreciate the, uh, the position we're in and the ability we can have to share information and, and work with those players are quite a
1: high level uh, day in, day out. It's interesting because just hearing that, it, you know, and, and we'll pro- come into this through the episode of like how important this is for player development. But imagine that like, you're at a category three club and you don't have that. And that starts to become like a bit of a gap between the players there and what they've got access to. Um, yeah, 100%.
0: I mean, for example, if you're an, uh, an s coach and your attention is split across three age groups, automatically your contact time's down across the season. Um, automatically, it's gonna be really hard to maintain that level of detail um, tracking youngsters through maturation, knowing when maybe to to pull back on their training load, when to then communicate with that with coaches, you know, it's it's a real barrier um, and something that's that
2: is really tough. I think it's that's why it's important um, with with your company because those players can go to um, ADP
1: and, and get the, the the training. So that's what I was gonna say. Yeah. So. I think if you're understanding that you're at maybe a disadvantage, let's say if you're in a cat free club. Or grassroots. Well, I was just about to go into that. Then after, um, after cat free, you then go into grassroots and you've got no S&C coach. Um, So then if the ambition of the parent is to catch up and maybe the player has talent but is deficient in some areas, they've got to go out and source the right specialist um, and those specialists are, are out there because you're part-time with Chelsea. Yeah. And that will probably be common for like all the other Cat 1 clubs. They'll have part-time S&C coaches and then chances are those people have their own companies as well. Yeah, is that common? 100%. Um, I think,
0: like you said, we kind of feel that strength and conditioning athletic development is for everyone, for every young athlete. Yeah. um no matter whether you are male female grassroots um or at the top flight currently we feel that you know it's something that is tough to get hold of um if you're a parent you might not know who to contact how why should be doing how much of it i should be doing should i be resting um talking about sleep growth um related injuries um what do i do then um so, we really feel that it is for everyone, um and I think a big piece is just that kind of the education piece, yeah, and just um introducing yourself to people and making that information readily available um for people if they want to, because you know we understand that it is a new young, growing industry, an area that again, not everyone may know about um and it's about. Educating people, getting the message out there that you know this is what we're doing at, at the the top flight f- with youngsters every yeah. week. Um, however, there's no reason that you can't do that as
1: well, really, Just because you're you're not the facilities there. that you've got at your gym in Guildford. How different are they from what you've got access to at Cobham? Uh, no different at all, really. Really, in terms
0: of um, you know we've got some high spec uh, technology and kit um, speed gates, force plates um, that we can do some, some pretty intricate testing with and feedback. Yeah. Um, but then again, if you look at, you know, there's some really basic things that you can do that maybe aren't necessarily, you don't have to have that kind of technology um, to, to, to do. And in terms
1: of, you know our facility it's it's up there but that's probably what I'm interested in for like the families who are listening to this maybe up north or not even in the UK or wherever they are um they we want to try to like give everyone the sort of level experience um and so then yeah what do they do like how can they like find a company like yours um
0: first of all 100%, wherever you are in the country, wherever you are listening to this, there's things, there's principles that you can put in place to ensure that, you know, you give your young child the best chance of developing um, through a long-term athletic development plan. And that's how we kind of view it. You know, it's a real zoom out and a long plan. Um, We often get people coming to us like, oh, I wanna get quicker in like four weeks. We're like, well, that's not, it's tough you know and there's things we can do to try and help you um but we really need to zoom out and look at this in terms of a you know six ten year plan yeah. of where do we want to be eventually and what are going to be the building blocks um the fundamentals the foundation that we're going to put in place to allow your athlete to then continually and continuously build consistently over time
1: so will they have like a they should find a consultant is that what you're saying
0: yeah i think maybe look for someone who's well read um someone who's open um and someone who puts the athlete at the center um and someone who can explain it to you in a way that is um easy to understand mm. um like, you know i speak to parents every single week and i think one of the, the key things is present it in a way that's digestible easy to take away um, and that they understand how to then implement those bits on a weekly basis. Yeah. Um, whoever it may be with. Yeah. Um, but yeah, someone who's well read um, and puts the athlete at the centre.
1: Does it? Do they need to be a specialist in football? Um, potentially. I think, you
0: know, working at Chelsea and working with a lot of footballers of different ages, um, people tend to come to me and go, "Oh, I've got this footballer. Can you help me with him? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but there's loads of qualified, fantastic um, teachers, S&C coaches out there that no matter what sport that they're currently in, um, they're gonna give you some fantastic, advi- fantastic advice to develop the athlete, the person over that long period of time. Um, and then from those developing those athletic characteristics, hopefully you're going to have a really good footballer at the end of it.
1: Mm. But there is a risk that if you got the wrong person, then that could do like quite a bit of harm. Y- yes, I would say that,
0: you know, seeking advice from different sources that may not be as reliable, um, listening to the volume, the amount of training that, that resource tells you to do, On top of everything else, then you might be looking into over fatigue to burnout, and then you're going to look at uh, different injury effects that 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 possibly might have. So, getting some solid, sound advice from a really good source is a great starting point. Um, with you know, especially with the amount of stuff that's out there at the moment, the uh, vast different places that you can get that information from, I think getting some good, solid information from a reliable source mm. um, is your first port of call. Um,
1: and what age does this typically start?
0: So, uh, um, going back to kind of our definition of S&C, yeah. it's that long journey, um, that long-term athletic development plan. In terms of where we start, we start quite young. So we've got sessions from um, seven years old. Um, but again, that doesn't necessarily say that's that's where you have to start. Um, we would kind of say athletic development would start as soon as they're able to... to Crawl. Yeah, yeah. 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 So Um,
3: Would you say that, I'd say so if we're going to go right back to this stage, would you say that maybe from from when the baby starts to crawl or a baby starts to roll over or a baby starts to stand up and walk, is that part of development of of strength and conditioning and are there tools that parents can maybe use to help their child?
0: Yeah, I think from... The very beginning it's all motor learning it's all skill development and you know that skill development doesn't really change we're continually picking up new skills and that's based on setting up the environment um, can we consistently um, expose young athletes to different environments and then allow some sort of unstructured play to develop um, and then from that environment you're going to shape what adaptations you get um, for example um, in, our, in our youngest class, it's very much unstructured play. It's, we're gonna play some um, invasion games, then we're gonna play some hand-eye coordination, some dodgeball. ball, um, we're gonna get on the monkey bars, we're gonna play some tug of war, um, we're gonna grapple and wrestle, um, we're gonna do obstacle courses, we're gonna hit some parkour. So we're throwing loads of different stimuli at this young person and they're constantly taking it in. How do I get up and over that really toolbox? Um, how do I most efficiently navigate this situation? And that's all feedback. Um, and if we can create really skilled learners, um, that's a fantastic foundation to have, whatever sport they play. Yeah. But you're, you've got a, a really skilled learner um, and someone who thrives in that environment and wants that environment. Um, you'll develop some, some really good characteristics as a base to then be a really good football or athlete in general.
1: Are we doing this at Chelsea as well? Yeah. What age do we start at Chelsea?
0: So from the eights, um, they'll have uh, exposure to different multi-sport. So lots of different games, ways of moving, um, different stability, balance, challenges, um, crawling, grappling. Um, we've got parkour and, and bits bit set up. Uh, and this is the whole way through the academy. They're, they're exposed <coughs> to yeah. different games, hand-eye coordination, badminton, volleyball, really? um, gymnastics, um, uh, uh, as well as gym work and, and gradually blending that in. Um, but yeah, it's exposure to different to environments and individual athletes will will
1: And is it take like, if we're, if we're training three times a week and playing a game on a Sunday, typically for under 12s and below, roughly. I'm not sure what, what day they start going, Saturdays. But um, on the training sessions, yeah, what portion of the session would encompass what you've just described? So
0: in terms of the on-pitch stuff, um, we will do portions of, um, again, that will be broken up into sections throughout the year. But on pitch-wise, we're looking at doing some sort of like power, some bounding plyometrics, jumps. Um, we do like carries and grappling and wrestling for body contact. Um, and then we're looking at some different uh, techniques and skills that would then cross over into the into the gym as uh, their strength and condition becomes more structured. Um, you when know.
3: typically is that? So how measurable? When do you start measuring? and and comparing and sort of seeing trackable progress if that makes sense
0: so we test normally three or four times a year in terms of their physical testing um we um would monitor their height and weight uh seated and standing and that's going to give us really good context so in terms of kind of rather than testing we like to call it kind of monitoring so we monitor their their development and when we see changes in that uh, development, that's going to give us clues as to um, where they are in kind of their maturation and when to maybe um, step on the accelerator and, and, and start ramping up or equally backing off a little bit as well. Um, and again, these are all, it allows us context when we're, we're measuring throughout the year.
1: That's so interesting where you talk about that, where um, it's, you just said that this it's the right time to really ramp it up. Can you maybe go into more detail on that? Cause sorry, to give a bit more context, um someone told me that if your kid grows by more than a centimetre in a month, then you need to rest them more. Something like that, they said.
0: Um g- growth is like anything, multifactorial. There's lots of stuff happening. So it would be quite reductionist to say, um, if this happens, then this happens. Right. Um, because there's so many factors at play. Um, so in terms of when to ramp up and when to, to back off, Yeah. ideally, if we've, like we've discussed previously, we've got this young star who's really skilled. They've played lots of different sports, exposed to lots of different things. <clears throat> they've learned different movements, um, squat, lunge, hinge, push, pull, all this kind of stuff, and they've got a really good base then the earlier we can start teaching these uh, and and kind of drip feeding these um, strength movements. um, And it's really hard to get that time back. So, you know, if you don't start this until you're 16, 17, it's really hard to get that block of time where you could have been practicing, slowly building um, your resistance training, your strength work. All right. Um, do
1: you mean like the form, like to learn how to deadlift or learn yeah. how to
0: squat? Yeah, technique and stuff like that. But, you know, we're teaching that at,
1: to nine, 10 year
0: olds and they're getting it, you know, technique wise. Um, Then once we know they can do that, we can slowly start to build it yeah. and we can slowly start to build it nine, 10, 11, 12, 13. And then they're in the gym and they've been doing this stuff for years. Mm. So now it's like, well, they're ready to go they're ready to start loading and start progressively building it um and we call that training age so you might have someone who's um 13 who's been training uh, you know exposure to snc for three years we might have someone at 16 who's had zero years of exposure and their training age is zero of snc so and it's you can't it's really really tough to to catch that time up because you can't cram it in. Yeah. You can't you can't start doing 5 Three, 6 seconds. sessions a week. Yeah. To, to to catch up. So it really is important that we set that base early. Yeah. We drip feed progression um
2: and we start to ramp it up as and when that individual's ready. I find that really interesting because I get a lot of parents thinking, "Oh no, he's not ready to start that." It's or she it's too early. Yeah. It's too early. And it's maybe that myth where, oh, no, we need to wait until they hit a certain age and then we'll focus on that. But hearing you go, if we get the foundation re-
1: in early, then they're at a much better place. Yeah. Uh, but, but then I just want to um, really like pick up on when you say that the player does need to rest. Because you did mention that. You said, oh, they're going through a growth spout or there's, there's some sort of reason where you won't ramp it up. Yeah, 100%
0: rest, recovery, sleep, high quality nutrition, hydration, um, communicating with your coach, all fantastic things that you need to do and need to be consistent. And again, that, that's a joint up approach from all your surrounding bases, but in terms of
1: when is resting too much? I'm oh, oh, sorry if, if just, um, sorry, I want to stick on this though. Um, yeah, like what are you specifically looking for, for a player going for a growth spurt or something for growing? Where they need to stop. Where they need to stop. Okay. Yeah, sorry. That's what I'm looking for. Okay, cool. Right. So when
0: we monitor and we, mon- we monitor the height and weight more regularly than we test, if we notice they're going through a period of accelerated growth, Yeah. okay, if we just think of what that is, it's um, bones growing faster than connective tissue, ligaments, tendons, etc. cetera. Um, we've got, so we've got new limb length. We've got increased weight we've got, and that that then throws off kind of motor skills, like coordination and things like that, proprioception. And then we would see something like, you hear comments like maybe, he's lost the yard or the ball just went under his foot. Like you'd normally trap that. Um, So, and this is, if we look at it, this is completely, you know, acceptable and predictable and something you would expect to happen from someone who has now got legs that are slightly longer mm. body weight that's slightly heavier mm. um, center of gravity center of up. gravity's changed um skills that i used to be able to do i actually now have to think about and mm. i have to relearn that and it's no it's not different in kind of athletic development to kind of technical development it's relearning the basics um you know we have to reteach youngsters how to sprint and change direction after they're going through this because yeah, a new body. Yeah. Um, so that's important. In terms of when we need to back off though, and we, we monitor this kind of growth, um, when they go through that period, you know, heavier, you might be coming in later to tackles or challenges, Next, if you've got more weight that you may be throwing around. But that lack of coordination, that period of time, we would say that's an increased risk of injuries happening. Um, and again, that might be a time where you go, we need to monitor their training load throughout the week. We need to monitor how much sleep they're getting, how they're feeling. Are they fatigued constantly? Um, are they getting enough food, rest and recovery and We may need to back a, off a little bit on their training load, um, see how they respond and then go from there. Um, so that might be a, a an indicator if they've had an accelerated period of growth you go we need to monitor what's happening here because if they are all of a sudden picking up little niggles and injuries on the same amount of training you know that might be a sign uh, and if left to just pass that then potentially would lead to may lead to something a bit more severe and again that's what you want to jump on nice and early if we're monitoring throughout the year and having these conversations yeah it's something that you go hold on we've noticed that and um, we speak to the technical coaches. Oh, they've noticed that as well. Okay, as a joint-up approach, what are we going to do about it? We might need to back off on his training load a little bit. We may need to manipulate his training session um, to make sure that he's not overreaching. He's not constantly training in a state of fatigue. Um,
1: that's a really great answer. Like, yeah, I have I really understand that now and I I hadn't before. Um, so so that's, that's excellent. And just see that... Like how important having someone like this would be in your corner. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, if if that's
2: what parents are going for, and you know they're pushing their kid to to be the best they can be at football, so why wouldn't you get the best or someone who's knowledgeable in this in this field? It's only going to help them.
0: Yeah, to put it in maybe like a, a bit of an example as well. Two kind of regular growth related injuries that we will see is uh, are like osgoods Osgood. uh, in the knee and uh, severs in, severs. in, in the heel. Hill. Hill, yeah. Yeah. So Again, that's a sign that body's gone through uh, a period of accelerated growth. The connective tissues, ligaments, tendons, um, you, you know, are experiencing some, the pain receptors in that area. And they're giving feedback. It hurts. Um, so again, that's a sign of like, you know, the period's gone, the body's gone through that period. That's the consequence. It's preventing me from playing and training. That's the body's way of, going, need to back off a little bit. Mm. However, it is really tough when
2: the demands on the player are... Well, well that's... High. We get parents, uh, no, like, they might put the pressure on the kid to, no, you've got to play through that or you got to carry on. And but, but I, yeah, because
1: I, I think that's a balance yeah. because on the other side, you'll have maybe excuse-making parents, maybe like... what? Well, go on, Yuri. I'm thinking
3: more along the lines of biologically your predicted height might be six foot three, six foot four. Yeah. So you're going to go through many periods of growth. How do you manage um, that? Okay. We're in pain. So yeah, then back off. But then actually this pair, this player is going to go through many periods of growth through the season. If you keep backing off the load, um, they're not gonna get enough contact time. They're not gonna get enough outers just because they're growing. So how do you get that balance?
0: Really good question. Um, we use, for example, say, let's, let's go with Osgood's to the knee, right? So any kind of knee flexion is gonna cause pain yeah. around the growth plate and you know prevent players from, from training uh, from their normal volume, right? The normal yeah. training training volume. Um, what we would want to do is try and maintain a level of strength. Um, the reason being say that 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 period is easing off. okay What we want to do is keep a player nice and strong and robust so that when that when that pain does start to ease off and they do start to ease back into training, they're not starting from zero again. What we've actually got is okay, we might have decreased contact time a little bit, but let's zoom out and look at this long term picture. Okay, they might have decreased for this period of time. Um, but what we've actually done is we've gotten back into football, yeah. pain-free, nice and quickly. And we've gotten back in at strength levels, or trying to maintain strength levels as, as high as possible. So that transition back into football isn't one where, you know, I haven't been playing football, I'll go and play and I'll get another injury. Or I'll go back in and I'm not physically prepared enough for training. So I'll break down within the first two weeks of returning to play. So Ways that we do that, we would, um, you know, use more strength exercises that aren't knee dominant um, and maybe focus more on the posterior chain, um, but would still allow that player to maintain strength levels, global strength levels um, to then take back in when they do return to training, the pain does, does ease off. But again, that can be different periods of time for different people, but, you know, we want a robust, strong athlete that isn't gonna break down on return to training.
1: Well, well that yeah it was a really good question, Yuri. Um and that's what I was just gonna ask of your question, what what you were defining as like load because like can they still do like technical work while they're in this sort of period of pain, like even if it's dribbling between cones or Yeah, more like I suppose
3: what can they do um So say, let's say, okay, it's Osgood. What can they do in that time to make sure they're maintaining strength or is there stuff that they can do alongside strength training to maintain a certain level or so their level doesn't drop so bad so that, like you said, that uh, transition back into training is um, as easy as possible?
0: I think because it's so individual, we try and maintain guidelines. So, you know, train as much as you can without... Within pain barriers, um, you know, if it's if if you're not in pain, or if it's a little bit of pain that eases after the warm up and you're feeling good, go for it. Um, if it's something that is extremely painful, um, is hurting consistently, and it's affecting your willingness to go to training or to 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 engage in high, high intensity training as much as possible, then you might need to back off. But backing off isn't c- pulling completely away, it's how much can we still do within pain barriers that, you know, you're still getting in touch with the ball, you're still going to training, you're still engaging um, in your technical exercises and practice and stuff like that. You know, players of Oscars will will, con- will continue to train the same as the other, other guys. You know? Yeah.
2: I can but, imagine, oh. like, it's quite hard oh, for, let's say, a, a player who is, you know, working hard to get their scholarship, but can't doesn't have the match time hmm. to to be able to prove themselves or does that yeah. make sense because of what they're going through. 100%. So I can imagine it's quite hard to find that balance of letting them play to, but to, that's, to do That's that. where
1: the club have to be good. Like they, give them. Yeah, but Ruben Loftus-Cheek, ch, I remember them speaking about his journey and he went through so many growth spurts and um, they, they had to work so closely with the strength and, the strength and conditioning coaches at Chelsea um, to be really sensible about how they managed him through his years of puberty and his body changing, because every time he'd get taller, yeah, he would then have to keep- uh, Adjusting. Yeah, adjusting, mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep relearning. Yeah. Yeah, um, but that that is a really good point, Marcelo. I mean, I'm thinking that, what about with parents who kind of are saying that, oh, my kid's going through a growth spurt that's why he's not playing well, that's why his technique's letting him down, um, but maybe it's not a growth spurt. Maybe it's just they're not practicing enough and playing computer games too much.
0: Yeah, I mean, we try and, our, our main theme is to try and make sure these athletes are prepared. Because if you've got a good base and you're prepared enough, you're more likely to give the best account of yourself. You're more likely to execute and perform at your highest level consistently. Um, but, you know, you've got to want, want to to. Do those things. You've got to want to put the effort in, find out what you need to do, and then go and do it. That you know, the, it's a lot of hard work to push your body to make adaptations and improvements. Your body just wants the easy, easy life, the easy road. So, you know, to put stress on your body to train, to recover, to make sure all these other elements that surround you are, are spot on, it, it does take it does take effort mm. um, and you know, you gotta to stick to it. You gotta be consistent. There's no replacement for that. Um but if someone is does do that, you know, and gets all those those surrounding bits spot on, they're gonna be in a much stronger position to cope with training, to cope with playing, to recover better, um, to produce their stronger, more robust, they're less likely to break down. Um, you know, loads of research around stronger athletes getting injured less or less likely to get injured, sorry.
2: Mm. Um, that's part of the end goal, isn't it? To Let's say when they are professional, to be able to meet the demands, play 60 games a season without getting injured. Um, mm. And I, th- for me, that's what I take a lot of, a lot of what the strength and conditioning goal is. Some parents obviously might think it's just about the strength and, and muscles and getting big muscles. But it's more, for me, my, my take home is being able to meet the demands to play the, the, the amount of games they, they do at a absolutely. high level. Absolutely,
0: absolutely. I think one of our biggest um, aims as S&C coaches and definitely at, at advance is if I can get this athlete um, to a position where they're strong, robust enough to meet the demands of the sport, they're less likely to get injured, more um, more likely to recover well and play consistently at the highest level they can, that's aim number one. Yeah, You know, things like performance enhancement, Um, Yes, it's, you know, something that people see and would want maybe first. However, that's a result of being really consistent, um, being stronger, being able to produce more force into the floor um, to do things like break faster, change direction quicker, um, accelerate more efficiently, jump higher. Um, They're all the things that you go, oh yeah, they're the bits that I want. Um, However, our main aim is kind of go, if we can keep you injury free, Mm. as a fantastic talent that's got to be aim number one uh injury free or reduce the likelihood of injury sport is random football's random you're going to be thrown into all different positions injuries will happen yeah however if we've got an athlete that is strong um in relation to their body weight so we call that relative strength if they've got the nutrition they're eating eating high highly nutritious foods the hydration's on point they're sleeping regularly they're feeding back to their coach um you know, I would be in a much happier position knowing that that, that athlete's done that. I would say mm, they're probably more likely to perform at a higher level and, you know, then go on to re- achieve their
1: potential. Just going back to where we were talking about the players who are going through different, like, growth spurts and then how you react to that. um I wanted to ask about the relationship with parents with if the if the kid is yeah not performing well um do you think it's it's very important that the parent club and child um are having a very sort of like open like candid communication style um where like you say if the child is in that severe pain they're able to like speak up it's not that they're saying oh, I I don't want to speak to the coach because I might lose my place in the team um, or they're like, oh, I don't want to tell my dad I'm injured because he's going to have a go at me. He's going to think I'm weak. But then on the flip side of it, you've got other kids who love being in a physio room. Maybe they lack attention from somewhere and then they want attention. So like, yeah, how do, what education goes into that? I think, like you said,
0: um, building relationships, being honest um, and being... Being frank with everyone, yeah, um, having a joint up approach, okay, where the player is at the is at the centre, and they feel that all of these people are pushing the same direction for them, um, and it's an atmosphere where you can share things, um, and you know these boys are intelligent, uh, not boys, sorry, these these athletes, these players are intelligent because what we, we work a lot with females as well. Yeah, I'm sure we'll probably touch on that a little bit, but you know. They're intelligent athletes. Um, they're mature. So, if you are honest and open, and you set that out from the from the start, and that's a precedent that you that you maintain, they know that you've got their best interests at heart, um, and are more likely to then go, "Ah, oh, my knees are really hurting. Um, I'm not gonna. I'm not scared of sharing that information because I know that." My S and C coach, my coach all fighting my parents all pushing the same direction and they told me not to, you know, not to persist through excruciating pain mm. that this is a period that we're gonna help you manage as a collective together and we're gonna get through it. Um, you know, and we're gonna help prepare you for when that happens. Um but I think like like you said, honest, you know, candid conversations, yeah. Um letting the athlete know that we're all working with you together. You're not on your own with this. And and maybe backing off, you're training a little bit. Um, I know it doesn't seem like it now, but it might be the best in the long run just to keep you healthy. Yeah. Yeah. Because if we push through this, then we we further aggravate injury. It's gonna prolong the period that you're not able to play um, or get back to training or wherever it may be. So as early as those conversations can happen. um, And again, it's just creating that atmosphere I think really helps, and the athlete feels like, oh, buzzing. You know, people are on my side yeah. they understand, and if I'm hurting, I, I can tell them. I can share that information without feeling like, oh, you know, I'm going to let someone down, or
1: yeah, I'm not training. I can't go to training this
0: week. Cause I'm going to let my parents down, or whatever.
1: But but not going so far on the other side that they become like Darren Anderson and just forever in the physio room. Well, this <clears throat> this is the this is the thing we try.
0: And we'd say, if you know, if we've got a stronger, robust athlete that's had these years of practice and they've been building it up and drip feeding it slowly. Yeah. Hopefully they get to a position where, you know, they've had so much experience. Their training age is so high.
2: It won't come to that.
0: Their relative strength levels are so high in comparison to their body weight. They can perform lots of different moves. You know, we would like to think the likelihood of that is less. So, you know, you can have more athletes playing uh, and less like you said in the in the physio room for for do,
1: do you ever see kids fake injury um i'm going to say no i
0: haven't i haven't no i haven't seen that um you know when i was playing you might see your mate and i'm like you're not injured come on <laughs> get get up. whatever
3: but yeah, i think I, that's more where we're going with it it's more you do get maybe in like training sessions where you've coached a team and you can see the session's just got a bit intense and a player maybe doesn't, isn't quite managing to, to to maintain that level of intensity or you've got a small group session where you're pushing players quite hard um, physically, but also technically and, you know, their brains are working and it's, yeah, and the player's like, oh, yeah, I need a break or yeah, I'm hurt. Or when you're looking at them, you're like, yeah, you could probably keep going. Like, do you not really get that? in s sessions and stuff? Or do you think?
0: Um, I think it's different for different groups. Different backgrounds have shaped different characteristics. I would say that, um, you know, at the top level, they know where they want to be. So the drive to continue, um, even if having a bad session, you know, you know, they're, they are still youngsters at the end of the day. Depending on, on what age we're talking here, um, and they're going to face those battles emotionally, you know, with different motivations and um, uh, and, and pushing hard to where they want to be. But you know, a lot of them are are driven, self-driven, and it's the ones where you turn around, they're doing stuff that you told them to do three weeks ago, and they're doing it off their own back, and you'll go, okay, that's impressive, mm. that's good. Or they're coming to you and going. Harry, I want to improve this bit of my strength, uh, you know, or, or I wasn't pleased with this bit of my testing, uh, and I really want to improve it. You don't know, think I can do? You can? Can you help me? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I'm, I'm more than happy, more likely to go out of my way to go. Right, let's let's put this in place. Let's do this um, as your pre-rival activity, or mm. let's. I'll take some time before training and let's do this. Or when you're doing your workouts, and when you're in the gym with me. Let's make sure we're really moving with intent. Let's make sure, and just making those minor adjustments um, to try and to try and push them. But it's the ones that you know do it off their own back uh, and are self-driven. Um, you know, with encouragement, because sometimes you have to be a role model and go, "This is how it's done."
1: You have to push hard. Did you see that? Do that again. That's how you need to do that. But with those stories of Ronaldo, where they had to actually lock the gym at Sporting Lisbon. Like, is there too much? Um,
0: Sometimes, but rarely. Really? Um, Yeah, I would say... As long as they're getting enough sleep. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are some times where we have to go, right, you've come in, you told me you're tired, okay? We've reflected on what you've done currently so far this week and last week. Yeah. Your training volume is quite high. Let's back off a little bit this week. Or maybe, you know decrease your training session this the volume of this training session right instead of five exercises it's just just do two do some recovery get yourself home get some sleep nutrition hydration etc but yeah i think if we're looking at their their training loads how much work they're getting through it's tough if anything we i'd like to have them more uh and we you know at the lab it's you know We've seen really good Im- improvements with people training a certain t- amount, um, and this is where we've seen the most optimal, the most efficient, or depending on age age groups and stuff yeah. like that. But you know, I think it's building. There's definitely a change in the tire. There's a shift where people are going, "Hold on, I know I need. I know I've seen that. I now know what it is. I just need to know h- how do I go about getting it a bit more? Where do I fit it in in my in my week?" Um, and obviously at Chelsea that's that's structured for them um, but outside of that grassroots you know teams um, in between um, you know how often do I do it where do I get that and that's, that's you know where we come in with the, the education piece whether it be with us or not um, we just want to allow people to to know where to access it how to access it and who to who to kind of go to um,
1: but yeah Marcelo have you ever had a parent who's like come to you and said we got released from our club and then the the excuse kind of the parent made and it might be justified but they said my child was going through a growth spurt and the club didn't really support with that and then um I've had sorry I've had
2: parents say yeah my my child is going through a bad phase of form um his feet aren't quite moving the same as before um maybe you know they used to be quite skillful and right now they're a bit more clumsy with with their footwork um and yeah it it, it's maybe led to a release but i don't think that will be the the only the only reason why they got released in my opinion,
1: yeah, but that makes sense. Yeah, so that's maybe what we think in our minds when we hear it. We 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 would say, well, maybe there's another side to this. Not to say they're wrong, but yeah. just I'm not going to take what you're saying completely at face value. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm 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 interested. Maybe maybe it was a club that didn't handle it well enough, or didn't didn't um give the player. Yeah, because it's like it's so hard to know how. Which players do you gamble on? Which players do you say, "Oh yeah, this this changes that are happening through puberty. Um, we need to give that much time." And this is why it's affecting their football. And yeah, um, it's like, or, or it's like, no, they are becoming a very different player than we signed that under nine, and we we're, we're we're not seeing that this person is going to go and be a first team footballer.
0: Yeah, I would definitely agree in terms of. When players go through maturation, styles change, the body changes, uh, their you know, what they're exposed to and the experience in of the game and, and of training can change. Um, I think what's fantastic at, at Chelsea and, and with other clubs, um, and our job as S and C coaches is that um the level of communication and detail, um, it would never, you know, come down to, to one thing. I think it's all informing each other um, of kind of, like we said earlier, Of here's their testing stats, here's their level of maturation. They've gone through a, a, um, a period of accelerated growth. Here's what we're expecting to see after that, just for a heads up. Oh yeah, we've seen some of that in uh, training and in games a little bit. Um, let's speak to the physio, are they getting any growth related injuries? So, you know, being able to draw on many different sources Gives really good context, yeah. yeah. Um, and then after that, a decision. D- uh, you know, scouts, uh, senior coaches, and and stuff are able to make a decision. But I think our job is to provide that foundation of information that wraps around the footballer. Yeah. For and and then decisions after that are. are
2: is there is there a ceiling additional. to a player's? Strength and conditioning, That's what I was relative strength ask. and conditioning. And also, if they start earlier, does that ceiling get reached quicker or can that be pushed? G-
0: great question, because I think it's one of the most important factors that we look at with um, an athlete is their relative strength. So how strong are you in relation to your body weight? Okay, so we get obviously like smaller players taller players uh, more with more muscle mass less etc as depending on their stage of development especially with female athletes when they go through maturation changes in body composition um you know and like body fat percentage that will definitely alter their relative strength levels so for example um again if we zoom out and look at the long-term plan we would say like gold standards um, of relative strength between like 1.5 and two times your body weight in, uh, in a variety of different lifts, two times your body weight. If you say that to a 10 year old, or if you say that to a parent of a 10 year old, they're like, what? But with the education and context, that's the end goal. And we do it by laying the foundations of play, building, drip feeding, slowly progressing. And by the time they're kind of like 13, 14, they might already be to one times their body weight, be able to maybe, for example, back squat one times their body weight because they've been practicing, their training age is so high, they've been practicing for years. That's perfectly acceptable for them. Whereas you, someone who, who has no idea on it might go, well, they've got their body weight on their back and they're, they're squatting, yeah. Um, and then from there, as they go through maturation, they come out the other side, release of hormones, testosterone, et cetera, then you can really you know, step on it and push that
2: so they get to that point yeah
0: so they're uh, they're they're consistently trying to build towards that you know 1.5 to 2 times body weight um and again when you get there you've got a strong robust athlete who can produce a large amount of force in a short amount of time high ground reaction forces and high rate of force development um and they're going to be explosive
1: I think we have to do those kind of things when well when trialists come in, let's say under 13, under 14, are they way off it physically?
0: It's a really good question because what you might have is you might have a team with, you know, years of training experience, yeah. exposure to athletic development, yeah. strength and conditioning, loads of skill-based practice, loads of exposure to regular sprinting and jumping and bounding plyometrics, et cetera. Yeah, And then you might have someone from grassroots. No formal coaching, no formal exposure to to any sNC. so it is really tough You're, so you' so we speak to coaches and stuff and they're looking at obviously their technical ability, but for me from from a physical point, it's really tough to gauge because they've had no formal coaching. so we're trying to start from zero and we're trying to build that training age and like we said, it's really tough. The older you get to catch up on those years, um, so the earlier we can do it, the better. But yeah, sometimes there is a really big gap um, with the athletic development and, phys- and from a physical standpoint. Sometimes they cut, they get up to speed. Yeah. Sometimes not. Um, the environment um, that you create um, exposes them to lots of different things when they're that when they are still young, they are picking it up. Really quickly, they will absorb all that information and you know and and skill-based learning. Um,
1: but when with these players that are like well off it, because a scout might be out there on a Sunday, see a player who looks powerful, looks fast, like he would uh, be ticking in um, the boxes to say this this player is great physically. I'm scoring like nines or something, and then they then come in, you then start working with them. But their technique on a lunge or their technique off a squat is so bad, um, you're like, oh, this is this is hard work. Um, but can you also identify that there is power there and there is there is strength? Yeah. Like, raw. I've, yeah. I've, I, firstly, I
0: think if they've if had no exposure to, to kind of strength moves, lunge, squat, uh, hinge, etc. Yeah. yeah. It's a skill. It's a skill that can be learned, um, and like any kind of skill with enough practice, they will eventually start performing that autonomously without thinking. And that's when you then start to increase the level of challenge and load and etc. So it can be learned. Um the benefits of learning it earlier are, are what we've spoken about. In terms of the power, we do kind of that's where our kind of test regular testing comes in. So what we might see is we might see um, a deficiency of skill development however what we might see through testing is you know when we put them through a jump or we ask them to sprint we're looking at times and we're contrasting that with previous years we're we contrasting that with the current age group um, squad averages where th- where they sit we then start again start to build that picture of okay right skill development's down that's to be expected hasn't had any formal coaching we can teach that. If he's willing to learn and put the work in, we can teach that. Um, but if we look at stats, speed acceleration over 10 meters, speed over 30, um, counter movement jump, um, some change of direction bits, it's not far off. We can see, you might, you might say, oh, actually, you know, speed is actually quite up there. He's in the top third of the group. That's really good. And he's given us signs that that can continue to improve. Um, you know, hasn't had it much exposure to any jumping, any power modalities or, or training. So his jumps, not not great, but we can see some some really good signs there. Um, his change of direction is quite good. So, you know, and, we, and then we, we're taking that to the coaches and building that picture around the, the trialist going, okay, there's, there's, some, there's some bits that are maybe not there at the moment, but we can teach, but there's also some really good signs that they're-, they're so for, for our improve.
2: listeners, typically how long is a trial? at an academy? Eight, eight um, it's a minimum of eight weeks. Minimum of eight weeks. That's, That's the EPP law now says that you have to have eight weeks. So minimum. in that period, is there enough period to go, all right, look, this is what they were when they started off with, uh, when they first come in, and then eight weeks later, actually that play has made a huge improvement and it's now yeah. translating onto the pitch?
0: I think it would be tough to say... In eight weeks, I want this trialist to be competing with other members of the squad uh, from a physical standpoint. It's really tough to say that. What I think would be nice to say is here's his baseline. When we tested him when, first away when he come in, what have we seen since then? What are the, uh, the original signs when he first tested that we go, oh, actually, you know, 30 meter speed was quite good um, and change direction was quite good, but maybe need to work on other areas. Um, and that, are they are they coachable are they willing are they willing to learn yeah are they willing to put the work in do they understand that it's a process it's not going to happen straight away not to get um disheartened by that but instead for that to fuel them and go all right cool you know i've been given some some good feedback and some areas to work on and and they've told me how they're going to help me which is fantastic and in sessions i'm going to work on that so the stuff that i've been given or identified as maybe not there just quite yet that's the bit I'm really going to work on in session when I'm being given exercises when we're in the gym when we are on pitch and we are sprinting I'm going to make sure that I'm listening um I'm, mm. I'm trying to get as most uh, as much out of it as possible um to try
1: and catch up that gap so with what I do with Chelsea it's really focused with the under 7s under 8s like the real real like young ones <clears throat> so I'm not that familiar with the decision-making process of signing a new trialist with like the old, under 13s, under 14s. Um, But I'm I'm really, really interested to wonder like how much, like the people that sign off and make the final decisions on a signing. um, And again, I always like to say, this is not just Chelsea. This is like all other clubs as well. But it's like, this This sounds so important. Like a player, like, are they able to be coachable? Are they able to learn well, and not just learn well from football techniques and football IQ, but also can we teach them strength work? Like, if if they literally are trying to teach them that technique off a, off a squat, and <laughs> I know, because like my trainer like has a hard time with me teaching it, it's hard. Um, so then, yeah, like, like if if you're really like banging your head, Are you feeding that back? You you say you feed that back to your coaches who might be like the under 13 lead. But I wonder if the top people who make the decision on a trial list, if that ends up feeding back to them, that the player is maybe not as coachable learning, you know, like physical development.
0: Um, Again, not for certain, but I would say that because there are many different people and many different avenues of information, Um, I would say that that person's character, ability to learn, willingness to learn, um, previous experience, mannerisms, that kind of stuff, it all adds to the picture. Right. Um, And then it's a matter of, you know, how much weight is put behind each of those different bits. Mm. Um, But, you know, different loads of different information from different angles is just going to give context to the pitcher um, and provide a better understanding of, of that athlete that's in the middle. Um, and then obviously a, a decision's got to be made.
2: Um, I think I think it's really important, even if it's an... Because we do get some uh, athletes or some footballers that perhaps don't necessarily like that side of of the game. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it, I think it's a really telling point where even though they don't like it, they know the importance of it and they're still willing to go through it. And it yeah. tells them a lot about their character. And I think it's going to happen in games when you're going to have to do something you don't like, where you have to yeah, defend 100%. or whatnot. So, in it all translates. Yeah.
0: I think, again, I think this, this is where the, the, there's been, becoming a shift where players understand that I have to work on this physical piece. You know, everyone else is doing it. I can't afford not to and i understand why it's so important yeah um and i understand why it's a regular fixture in my training week now mm. um but i would also also say like you know there's no there's no reason why it can't be fun there's no reason that it can't be challenging and motivating because you know youngsters that's what youngsters love and you know for example when they come into the lab we are playing all these different games it's really challenging
2: we make it really ch- we make it tough for them yeah. I, okay, you can't do it. It's... I've seen some of the sessions you you guys <laughs> put on at Chelsea, and it's great atmosphere. The music's playing, everyone's mm. you know working hard, but it just seems like a, a good atmosphere.
3: I, uh, I got, I got a question. So, um, it's so we had a bit of a debate about this, and it's something that comes up quite often about sort of athletes in football, um, and you get players that perhaps play. Certain positions where the requirements of them man as I'd say explosive or you know that a lot of what they do is generated from football IQ and and movement off the ball and that kind of thing. How much S and C would a player like that need to do to make sure that they can cope with the demands of 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 a football at that level? And then also, um, how how much do you read into say if their scores are lower than? Some of the really, really explosive players in the group. Mm. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, I think. Are we talking about elite players here, or are we talking about developing players that have got characteristics yeah, similar to that? I was going to say because if we're talking about elite
3: players, I'm sure they are. <laughs> they, <not> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm talking like so. Yeah, so say we bring in a a, a, a player. Or, yeah, you know, we've yeah. been out scouting and we've identified a player who. Um, it's perhaps not like the typical player you'd bring in who yeah. you know physically is going to be able to cope with the demands of training three times a week at that intensity, at that level, and is going to work with someone like you or has had a bit of background in, mm. in s and and is going to be, like you said, maybe doesn't lack some fundamentals, but or perhaps has been at another club, has been released and now has come into a different yeah. environment. Yeah. Um, yeah, how how do you approach those types of players who maybe don't have that background and, and maybe they're being brought in for characteristics other than their physical if that makes sense
0: yeah I think firstly it's quite interesting like you know we've, we've senior players and stuff like that we we just briefly touched on that you know I've won championships I've won titles without SNC so why do I need to do that and I, cause I suppose that's a that's a completely different, different did someone question. say that to you no but no I think it would be tough to then say to someone who's an established senior player, um, you, you, you've now got to start doing this. You yeah. uh, I I can, can imagine, you think about like, Perlo or or any kind of senior player in generations gone by, um, but obviously the game's evolving and it's changing and, you know, the speed of the game. And they would have increased.
2: had to do some sort of, t- again, stay injury-free, exactly. and be able to play exactly. 50, 60 games exactly. in a season. I bet Modric
1: has done loads.
0: Yeah, I mean, it... it it's really, it's really tough. Different cultures, different things. If we take, we read a book called The Athletic Skills Model and it gives a take on, it touched on your question that from Zenden, who used to play for obviously yeah. for Chelsea. Yeah. Um, smaller player, got into football late, um, but did a hell of a lot of judo. Mm-hmm. So if we're looking at previous experiences, the foundation, he was really comfortable being in body contact, um, you know, making contact with the opposition. And still able to to execute different skills, and that just adds to your um, repertoire of techniques, skills that you can use, tactics that you use in your game to make you the style of player that you are. Yeah. Um, if you are a player that maybe isn't you know naturally athletic, g- athletically gifted, or hasn't had any formal formal training, um, you as an SNC coach, we want to push as Metformize. much as we can. Their um, to, their... Yeah, exactly. To to increase their ceiling, to push their ceiling higher, to allow them space to, to move into it, and if they if we can push them and improve them physically, that's going to allow them to execute their style of play better on the pitch, whatever that style is. Yeah, really.
1: uh, yeah, yeah. that makes so much sense. Yes,
0: yeah. um, I think it's really important to to know that you know there are different styles. Um, all we're trying to do is allow you to reach your athletic potential. Yeah, to go and play and execute your style. style. Exactly, yeah.
1: Do you think that there is a risk that some parents who are listening to this today and they've got maybe six-year-old, seven-year-old, eight-year-old children, they're gonna be like, okay, man, we need to go and get this kid weightlifting. We need to do all this, yeah. And then uh, they spend less time doing ball work. Um, I would say,
0: like we spoke about, and you probably gather by now, it's kind of a cornerstone for me that it's a long-term athlete development plan and it's, it's a consistent drip feeding of these different elements that shift and interchange and change through maturation. Um, in terms of the balance, it's really tough because, Recently, what we've seen advances, you know, people come to us, go, oh, we know we want to do some SNC. and yeah. I know how important it is. Yeah, is. I've, I've done my research and, and, and we've come to you and we want some help. And I'm like, okay, right, cool. When can you train? Oh, well, we've got football on Monday and this on Tuesday and that on Wednesday. And he does this three times on Thursday and Friday and Saturday. I'm like, okay. That's brilliant. As we've already established, we want you guys to play. We know it's your sport and your passion. We want you to play as much as possible and train as much as possible. But we want you to be able to cope with the demands of that sport without breaking down. So, you know, that physical corner, we want to be the foundation for all of your training. And if at the moment you're breaking down, if at the moment you're getting overuse, fatigue injuries, with your current training schedule, you might need to adapt that. and there is going to be a, a trade-off. Like anything, Is there's, there's a trade-off. If I might need to sacrifice, you know, if I'm training seven, you know, people come to us, we train seven times a week, eight times a week, whatever it may be. You know, we want you to play football, but we want you to excel in it. And, you know, and really push yourself. And if backing off a technical session to have uh, a physical session and start building that foundation, we have seen that, you know, they are improving their confidence in their physical capabilities, expressing themselves physically on the pitch, a level of confidence to them impose themselves on the game in a way that I didn't think I could do that. Because I'm small, because I'm not strong, I I do get, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. eased off the ball maybe. And then after a, a period of time of training, they're going into games going, or we've had feedback from parents and stuff going, you know, he's still small compared to the other boys but his level of confidence and intent and uh, and aggression in his, yeah. his physical play yeah and his attitude towards it now has shifted because he knows he's working on an element that he hasn't previously yeah or an element that other people aren't doing mm. um so it's it, you know physical adaptations are slow However, you may see something like a, a shift in confidence or a change in character. That might be the initial change that you do see because they know, oh, actually, I'm, I'm putting the work in away from
1: football. I'm doing this thing that, that everyone else is doing at elite clubs. I hope that parents listening to this, and I'm sure they will, will if they didn't know beforehand, they're like realising like how important this is. And um, if they want their kids to be pro footballers then they need to make the time they need to find an extra day in the week like there needs to be something they give up i mean i don't think it's that important to learn how to swim no i think i think <laughs> you could once you've learned to swim like you're not going to die then that's enough <laughs>
3: i think i think Har- harry mentioned it earlier i think it's important for them to be exposed to different movement patterns and different things so like like with Zenden's case where he did a lot of judo so martial arts swimming yeah. um i think it is important to to do stuff like that at the younger ages, especially, because that is part of your exposure, isn't it?
1: As you sort of said. But a conversation I was having with Matt Healy the other day was he, he was having someone who wanted to come and do a gen football session. Right. But then the parent was saying, yeah, but with their team, I don't know which team it was, but they train twice a week, I think. Okay. So it's two team sessions a week. And then they played their match on the Sunday. Right. And then the parent said, that's all we can afford. I don't know if it was afford to do, but I think it was like they had time to do because they, they have homework and they have yeah. other children or whatever other commitments. So it was like two team sessions and then the match. And so then Matt was like, mm, all right, but maybe, maybe don't go to the team session. Like why do, if that's all your resources, if that's all you've got time to do, how beneficial is doing two team sessions a week for your kid? really? My argument would be, can't want you could they're going to improve
3: in that context for the level that they're playing but if you want your child to excel and be as good as they can be they need more contact time they need so they need to look at how they make more time because if they get an academy trial straight away they're going to be playing four times a week rather than three yeah so they're going to have to make the time anyway and if you go to definitely fulham definitely chelsea and we say oh yeah no he can't come training because he swims that day oh they're not gonna gonna say that no no, but you know what i'm saying but it's like
1: how do you catch up and then i'm learning from speaking to harry is that you have to if i if i had a kid i'd be saying i'd want to be booking in some consultancy with you at at least like i'd want the kid visiting you once a month like like once a month that he's just in your contact time, so you to be able to observe and then give me some feedback, mm. but then i 'd also if but depending on the age i think i 've learned that I think like judo would be an important thing and i 've always had that idea before, and then it would then like you 've talked about growing and, and if the kid ended up going to an academy, then yeah, you can put the trust in the academy, but assuming they 're not in an academy, then how do you make up the academy experience with your own resources in grassroots mm. so then it 's like well. The kid is now getting to like nine years old. We're gonna find one day a week. I'd say I'd say come to you four times a week. Would you? Sorry, four times four times a month. Four times a month. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Once a week.
0: Yeah. Is so that- what what we've seen is we have different uh, subscriptions and models and stuff where it's flexible. We understand that there's a lot. There's lots going on throughout the week, like we've just kind of explained. And what we want to do is go, whatever level you can commit to we want to be able to make that accessible for you so for example we get parents and they can train once a month um again with testing with all the the clothing and stuff like that we've got a purpose-built app that we give them with all their testing results on with all their workouts on videos and feedback and blogs and stuff like this so you know the package is is really good because it's new we know that you know people need educating and we need to show them why it's beneficial, but the package is fantastic. And we say to people, you know, if you come once a month, oh, sorry, (laughs) if you come once a week, four times a month, yeah, you know, and you're consistent, if that's all you can do, but you're
2: consistent with it. Oh, so you'd want more than once a week? Um, Let me put a scenario. then. Let's say my boy, now he's turned, because you start at seven, right? He's seven years old. What would you recommend?
0: What well, I would say, and what we say with all parents is, if you can commit to once a week, absolutely fantastic. Okay, because it's once a week more than you were previously doing, and he's been gonna be exposed to something he's never been exposed to before, potentially. Um, and the likelihood of seeing results is quite high because they've gone from nothing to something. Um, then it's become, it comes down to lots of different factors in how I can increase my training volume to potentially like twice a week, um, but it, it happens. There's kids that absolutely love it, and they go, "Oh, actually, I, I do, I do want to go to the lab and train. I do want to do that." Those new festivals at seven,
2: so even at seven, twice a week. But even okay.
0: But it, but again, it, to, it it totally depends on the family, other commitments. Um, you know let's let's talk utopia though okay cool right if I I can have you for two sessions a week throughout the season I'm pretty confident that we can I can get you to a a stage where you're improving way more than when you were initially but
1: okay but But remember okay but then if the parent suddenly starts prioritizing they've got seven days a week uh, you know the seven like the five evenings in the week yeah and Maybe two of them are going to be with you, so now they've only got three evenings for football sessions. Yeah. If that that could end up, you know, the type of footballer that we want to, that you know, is a top player, is going to have great technique, and then maybe they miss out on technical work. Yeah, but you
2: look you look for great movers and you're a powerful athletes, so maybe they're getting that. I think maybe it, they're not, developing not. that. No. What? What was it? again? <laughs> just so, throw that statement at me. <laughs> no, Modric so
1: is one of my favourite players.
2: Okay, but when you're recruiting at a young age, predominantly, or what? What one of the, what's one of the things you might look for? A good mover,
1: powerful, or whatnot, right? So maybe they get they're going to Harry yeah.
2: twice a week. Yeah, but then
1: yeah, but then if the player is like super powerful, but they can't touch the ball and they make really you know bad decisions. No, we don't want just the powerful player. I like, think not
3: just. I think the the most balanced and and sensible way of looking at it is you look at it player for player by player. I think one thing that's really stuck with me that you talked about is how long the journey is and that it's athlete development. So even though you're making a footballer or you're making a runner or a boss, whatever sport it is you're working in, it's athlete development. Yeah, so you've got to develop all parts of that athlete. So if there are times when you have to prioritize perhaps more ball time and developing that, then that is more appropriate. But then I think there are also going to be times where as the player gets older, as they're going through different levels of physical maturation, I think it's important to also, even if you can't get over to the lab once more than once a week, you're using these types of resources to do things at home. Because, I'm sure I don't want to make assumptions of what kind of parent you're going to be, but <laughs> there's going to be some, some physical workouts at home that they'll do some regular stuff. So like press ups or what and, and and maybe this is my question is if players can only have limited access to getting to you once a week, can they still benefit from have it simply because of time constraints like Sean's explained? Yeah. If if they've got a busy schedule, they've got more than one child or it's too difficult to get over mm-hmm. twice a week what can they do to support that long-term athlete development?
0: Good question. I think on the first point, there are no hard and fast rules. It is different for each family and each athlete. It, the, more, the more you can train s c the more you can be exposed to these different sports, different environments, and build that skill base, the better. You know, we've got some athletes that can't get in at all and they just train with us via the app but they can they and they, they, they can just tr- get one strength session a week. But they do that one strength, strength session every single week and they're so consistent with it. And for me, I'm happy with that because I'm going, they're guaranteeing me that every single week so that we can maintain physical uh, outputs. And I know they're gonna maintain a level of preparedness to then go into their sport. Um, two times a week, one times a week, one time a week, Some kids just love it, some kids just love coming in, playing tug of war, getting on the monkey bars, learning how to squat and lunge and push a heavy sled and play dodgeball and do all these different guys. They love it so much it's fun for them. So it's easy for them to go, oh, I wanna come again. However, other athletes where it's like, they know they have to do it um, and they can only do come once a week. Or sometimes they go, there's a period of, I've got two months now where or a month or so. where I've got games and I'm going to, I'm out of the country and I'm playing this tournament and I'm not going to be able to come for 6 7 weeks whatever mm, it may be. Mm. And I'm like, okay, but we've we've been building and preparing for this moment. We're at a certain strength level. You you, you know what you need to do. There's certain things I can give you away from uh, our training and we've prepared you physically to be at a stage where if you do need to go out of the country and, and and compete or whatever it may be, we're happy that you're at a certain level that you can go and do that. Um, so we've prepared you correctly to then go and perform in terms of your question of on, on press ups and stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's again, depending on on, on age groups, if you're doing you know, like some extra things at home, some press ups, some sprints, um, uh, you know, whatever it may be, I, I, I don't see any reason that, that, is going to cause any harm um you know if anything the fact that you're going i oh, know i've got to do something or, or or i know i need to do some some extra bits to work on my physicality yeah and you're actually going out of your way as a, as a as a young player to then go and do that off your own back at home it's fantastic for me then you're more likely to ask questions like "Oh, i've been doing this what do you think or can you give me some advice on and then that's my opportunity to go brilliant that you're doing stuff fantastic you're doing stuff off your own back, how about we sprinkle in some sprints and how about we sprinkle in some, some jumps and some bounds and plyometrics to do with your locomotion, how about we sprinkle in some change of direction um, to, 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 to lay a, a nice broad base, but the mm. fact they're doing stuff off their own back um, at home on their own or whatever it may be with, with siblings is, is fantastic and it just tells me a bit more about the person rather than what they're actually doing, it, you know, it tells me that they're driven. And good mindset yeah yeah. so the fact that they're doing some, some press ups and stuff that
1: that was cool. the um, episode with Khalil which one was the first ones that we did where his his boy Perry's boy Khalil is doing really well with Chelsea and he said on the episode that he gets him to do like burpees and press ups every night before he goes to sleep um, and it's like a routine they have every day and there's a few players who are doing well that I know at different academies and that is a routine that they also have Um I want to go back to you see how England and um, England's footballers that we've been producing in recent years they seem to be like more technical and seem to be like able to make better quicker decisions and we're competing much better with other European nations that we didn't used to in the past. Why are you smiling? <laughs> it was so funny. Well, yeah,
2: what? no. no, no.
1: <laughs> um in the past we didn't produce players like that. Um we had and And people put it down to scouts scouting just the athlete effective player first, and there was a lot around that win at youth level, and maybe a lot of our training was like physical um whatever that would be, not so much ball work we had very fit physical players um Yeah. How is that balanced? I mean, I know to be fair, you kind of like explained it throughout the whole episode, (laughs) but, but hearing you refer to say two times a week, um, for, for a physical session and, and having that as a priority, my fear is that some parents might hear that. And then we go back to a old way of thinking maybe or old priority.
0: No, I, I, I hear you. I hear you. And, i think two times a week for you know is a small majority my my yeah a majority of people families that can access and actually make it two times a week you know there's out of the hundreds of athletes that come through the lab every week i would say there's a small percentage of that that train twice a week so let's just, I think. And I think, and there. to be
1: fair, I think I'm thinking of like under 12 down. Okay. okay. Under 12, that's good un- to frame. Yeah, sorry. I should have framed that because under 12 down is where the brain is more REM sleep and there's more like, like, they call it like golden years of learning and there's more like muscle memory so we can, yeah, teach skill a lot. You know, we've got that window of opportunity to teach skill. Yeah. Whereas after 12, maybe we lose that. Um So that's why I'm saying, yeah, for those ages, I would think a priority on ball work is important. Yeah, I think that's a really good point.
0: Um, In the younger ages, it's a lot of exposure to kind of unstructured play and letting the environment dictate the adaptation. Um, So 100% agree with that. Um, And then as they get older, as they're able to... um, deal with more structured training then potentially there may be a shift in emphasis um again the level of level of coordination needed uh, level of skill development needed is so high um and that's where we want them to be we want them to be able to execute at the highest levels so they would need training exposure to you know high intensities high volumes of those technical proficiencies Yeah. so they need yeah. to they need to go and be technically proficient okay. um, it's it's just how we balance that with their laying the foundations of their physical development and i don't see why it can't be a, a joint up approach you know yeah. if like we're we're exposing them to like all these multi-movement multi-tag games hand-eye coordination climbing up walls monkey bars tug of wall these bits and then let's get into some technical work you know there's, there's no reason that those two environments have to be... A, a, oh, so a, at, a, your,
1: really at your lab, you might get a ball out and you might do some technical work.
0: Um, no, <laughs> okay. no. Okay. Just because, you know, we look at what are you getting lots of currently? What are you not getting a lot of currently? And we're going to work on filling those buckets of the bits you're not working currently. So, you know, for example, if you're doing lots of technical work in your, your week, when you come to us, we're gonna fill the bucket that you're not getting off. So maybe you're not sprinting over long distances. Maybe you're not uh, doing loads of jumping and bounding. Maybe you're not climbing. Maybe you're not grappling with with players enough. Maybe you're not, yeah. So wrestling and doing parkour and learning to control your body weight and learning about uh, different strength exercises. So that's that's the bucket we choose to fill up.
2: Nice one. Very interesting. Um, I think,
3: one thing that, that I've picked up and I think it's important to, to say it as well is that it's very, what the work that you guys are doing and what S&C looks like at younger age groups just sounds very um, multifaceted if that makes sense. So like Completely. it's a mixture of you're not just working on um, yeah, loads and, and lifts and, and that kind of thing. It is a lot of m- different types of movement and taking children through different planes of movements yeah. that's developing the all-round athlete yeah. um, and Because of that, I think there's a lot transferable in what they're doing in terms of if you improve your coordination, you are going to be better when you're learning to do kickups because you're better coordinated. If you improve your single leg strength, you're going to be able to balance on one leg and do that, or or you know receive better on one off one foot or receive you know. So you need need to work exactly. So even though if you are exposed to slightly more S and C and slightly less. Technique work, yeah. Um, I don't think the 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 handoff would be that drastic that you can't you can't do a bit more of one than the other. And like I said, I think like one thing you. Oh, I really definitely well, no like as it. I'm not saying you do fifty fifty, right? But I'm saying if you had three technical session three sessions where you're getting exposure to technique a week plus your match on the Sunday, and you did two S and C sessions a week. At a slightly younger age, not
2: compared, throughout the whole season, compared to a player that's doing, that's doing six, technicals te- te- six technical, six technical, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And oh, I see that, I see yeah, that. That's more the point I'm yeah. trying to make, yeah. Um, I
3: would, and would you,
0: yeah, I mean, if again, if we zoom out and we look at injury trends over the past you know 10 years in with young athletes, we tend to see the same things happening again and again and again, you know what we're trying to do is to now elevate and educate and and change what's happening alongside, you know, the increased demand in in technical proficiency that Mm. is no doubt massively high and increasing. We're trying to find some way to balance this. And I don't think there's, you know, there's no right or wrong, there's no set rules. It's gonna vary drastically depending on the individual. For sure. which is really important um but you know let's not forget where as a physical goal stand where we need to get them and that that also is going to take time to build and yes it's more fun and play and, uh, and unstructured unstructured exposure to learn transferable skills and pick up a, a, a wide range of uh, of uh of skills at a young age but then it is we do need to start loading them we do need to progressively build that if we are going to get to that stage you know Mm. it it has to start somewhere um because it's a long journey you can't just go oh today i'm i'm going to start lifting 1.5 times my body weight yeah 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 Um, Yeah. so there needs to be uh, a unison and a joined up approach to it but i don't see and we we definitely see at the lab how it, it can work hand in hand um, of, of them pushing themselves technically both w- with their club and in other areas, other sessions, other coaches, yeah, whilst also building this broad base and developing strength. Mm. It can be it can be done, but it it requires a join up approach and some some sharing of information.
1: I've got two more questions, and we've got four minutes left. <laughs> Let's <laughs> go, try quick and fire. Fit these in, yeah. Um, but you were talking there about like seeing injuries, and it just prompted my mind to think about um, an article I read recently about injuries um, in women's football. And I don't know if you saw that. There's a, there's a lot of the uh, pro women who are getting um, ACL, ACL injuries now. Yeah. Why is that? Um, so
0: we said uh, again th- through maturation body composition changes that will alter the level of their strength in relation to their body weight okay um alongside that we've got considerations of the menstrual cycle oh, so yeah. we've got um a lot of training that you know women are going to be um outputs are going to be severely decreased Um, at certain times depending on their menstrual cycle so there needs to be um, a lot more consideration of fatigue on an individual level and how hard to then push or back off depending on on that stage of the menstrual cycle Um, acl injuries really high always been really high with with, women with women um has continued that way again based off our conversations it would be how strong are you in relation to your body weight? Can you hit these markers? Are you working? Is it a long program that's been working towards these, these gold standards? Um, because if we're not there, um, I'm then gonna go, okay, so we're still getting these injury rates. What's the background? What's what's the foundation we've set? And where are we at currently in terms of our, our relative strength? How robust and strong are we? Uh, because if we're not there, that might be an easy one to go. Okay, right. Well, if I can just maintain my strength throughout the season, if I continually build it, um, I, you know, I might be less likely to incur these kind of common injuries that other females are are getting that maybe aren't at those markers right. or aren't at those those relative strength levels that, who aren't haven't had that background or or foundation of uh, drip feeding long term athlete development. Um, so yes, it is a re- it's a common theme um and it's something that you know isn't great and we can we need to try and address um but I think that might be a, a starting point um fair enough okay to to assess
1: and then last question is actually to you two okay. um so yeah so what have what have you learned from the episode like what are you have you are you going to change any of the approach for your children yeah, I'm yeah, gonna get him in straight away and he's well, seven, with, Harry. with Harry <laughs> 100%. yeah
2: um well how many times a week <laughs> Two times a week he said <laughs> it depends but no, come I on I think he's 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 painted a, a really clear picture of what it looks like at a young age uh, and the benefits and how important it is um and yeah I'm I I believe in 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 the strength and conditioning side um and yeah, it's just it's painted a clearer picture a picture in my head yeah me too for me i think it's the the the
3: lifelong journey that 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 uh an athlete goes through um and the things that you can do alongside the early stages of their development and, and learning um and more things like yeah just putting obstacles in his way so he has to jump over them and, and taking your child through different planes mm. and yeah, I'll probably take him trampoline park and that kind of thing, and and make sure he does martial arts and yeah. does swimming, um, and and those types of things. Has it has it changed your perception of of S or what you
0: maybe thought bit, it was? Yeah, definitely,
2: definitely a clearer picture of what it looks like Clear at a, a young picture. age. Yeah. yeah, and maybe how much you should be doing. Definitely yeah. a clearer picture. So yeah,
1: thank you for that. And yeah. for me, I mean, obviously, even like working at Chelsea, but not knowing like what goes on even just you describing the conversation that you would have with one of the other lead coaches and the input that you would give and the effect that, that would have on how that coach is now working with that player um how decisions made how decisions on a, on a are made exactly um maybe some like growth in that area as well where we're, we're maybe underperforming and, and we could maybe improve conversations there yeah I would say the
3: depth um, the depth of how much you understand about the athlete, so um, maturation, yeah. how much they're growing, measuring Absolutely. their weight, measuring their height, um, you know, all, all the different things that that you talked about. I think are really important to understand, and yeah, not not use as excuses, but also but have open and honest conversations about how much to load the athlete with. Definitely, yeah,
1: really, really nice good. class, Harry. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you very Harry. much, Harry. Oh, yeah. I've, I've loved Thank coming you. on, so thanks so much, for Brilliant. Having...